So that building was actually supposed to have a flagship Apple store. One of the biggest drivers of our real estate market is students. They're going to look for an enemy. And what's an enemy that people can get around? They're going to blame investors. Okay, guys, welcome back to another episode of Inside Canadian Real Estate. Today, we're doing a special kind of episode. This is called This Week in Real Estate. Uh, we're going to be talking about kind of the big headlines, stuff that people are talking about, what's going on right now in the Canadian and broadly Ontario market, really. Um, and we're just going to kind of go through some headlines, talk about them. This is opinion only. I am by no means the be all end all expert. Um, but I like to talk real estate. So we're going to talk real estate, bring you guys along for the ride. I have here today with me, Anthony, my producer, he's going to be reading off, uh, some of the headlines. Anthony, say hi. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so Anthony produces the show. Um, and he also helps me out with a lot of this. So he's going to be going through some headlines and then we're going to be talking. He's going to be chiming in too and kind of prompting things along for us. Um, he's kind of the voice of the people for me here. So. Yeah, without further ado, let, let's get into it, Anthony. What do we got, man? Okay, so we're kicking off with some news that came out um, October 25th. So what is that? Two days from when we're recording it now. Um, two days ago, I guess. So interest rates on hold for now. Where does the Bank of Canada go next? So the Bank of Canada left its benchmark interest rate unchanged at 5% on Wednesday amid signs of cooling in the economy and easing in inflation. So what's your take on this? Yeah, so I mean that's the uh, that's the big one. Obviously, like rates rates hold. Everyone was expecting. I don't know what we were expecting. I don't think there was a consensus. Some people thought it would hold. Some people thought it would go up again. Some people thought maybe they'd come down. I think most people thought it would be a hold. Uh, we're pretty high. Like Bank of Canada is at five percent, which means retail rates. Like when you're, if you're going to a bank, let's just put it in like English. If you're going to a bank to get a house, you're somewhere around six and a half to like seven percent on a fixed rate right now. Some variables too. So it it's it's up there, and I think. When they raise, like when when the Fed raises interest rates, what they're trying to do is is slow the economy. So what they're doing is raising it, and then they're looking at the economy to say, are things slowing down? So are people like spending less? Are there are, is housing market slowing down? Is retail sales slowing down? They actually are trying to create slowdown. That's the point because they're trying to curb inflation. So I think what they did is they've raised it very aggressively this year, and I think I think rightfully so. You had to. Um, and now I think they're looking around and they're seeing the starts of what could be a, kind of a, a mini recession. Would you say it's working? Yeah. Cause like that, that recession is, is there. Like we're kind of going into it now. You're, you're seeing a slowdown. You're seeing a drop in retail sales. I think the last two quarters for the first time since 08, we're seeing retail sales drip or I mean, at least since the beginning of the pandemic, I know we had a little blip there, but for the first time in a while, we're seeing retail sales drop. Um, and so that's a good indication. We're seeing housing markets soften. Like we know we're in a buyer's market. If you put a house for sale, um, nine times out of 10, you're getting less than you ask now versus it used to be like 20% more and 35 offers in a day. Yes, some pockets are still hot, but the Ontario market broadly has cooled a lot. Um, not dramatically in the sense of like you're losing your shirt, but it's not as crazy as we were a year ago. So we're, we're seeing signs for sure that it's working. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you see this going? Like, where do you, where's the, where's the future heading? And is there any light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah. Like, I mean, I think, I think another raise is still possible. If, if they look around, like we've dipped a little bit, like I said, the market slowed a little bit broadly. Um, if they look around again in, in two or three months and it's not as dramatic of a change as they wanted, like if things are kind of holding flat still, they may push rates a touch higher to see if they can get us over that edge. But it's, it's very hard to tell. It, it's very much a game of like, pushing the boulder up the hill right so what they're trying to do with these rates is like 
you, they're basically pushing this boulder, pushing this boulder. They want to get it just to the cliff, just where it starts to tip over. And just as it comes over, then it's a game of slowing it down. You don't want the thing to go out of control and the whole economy tanks. So they're being very cautious of like aggressive start. So they started pushing very hard. Now that we're getting closer to that kind of over the edge, yeah. they're slowing down. They're being cautious. Um, and so I think next year, I'm hoping, like I said, maybe one more raise, but I'm hoping they start to decline. I'm hoping spring and summer, people can come back and listen to my thought here, but I think spring and summer of 2024, we're going to see a reduction in rates. It's going to be slow, though. It's going to be like a quarter percent at a time, little by little by little. Um, I think well into 2025, we'll still be on a slow decline to maybe... I, th- I think over the next two years, we'll see a 2% reduction. So I think we'll fall somewhere around 3 to 4%. Um, we're never going to go back to those like 1.9s. I don't think that's happening. Um, but I think we're going to see a decline next year. And I think that has big implications for the housing market next year. If, if rates do come down, we're going to see something interesting in the housing market. Like even more demand, like more demand, like stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So as soon as rates come down... People that have been on the sidelines waiting for that side are going to go, now's the time to get into the market, yeah. which is going to drive more demand in housing, and the housing prices are going to continue to grow again if that happens, right? Continues so if you're an owner. Grow the problem, I guess. It's going to, Housing affordability is always going to be a problem in Canada, though. Like you, you can't get rid of it because immigration. Like We have so many people every year, almost 1.5 million people a year, permanent resident applications and students come into the country and need homes. And of that 1.5 million, something like 90% ends up in the golden horseshoe. So it's, it's like a oh, huge, geez. don't oh, quote my 90%, but yeah. it's high. It's like 80, 90% yeah. end up here. Well, we touch on that later. Yeah. Uh, the immigration, but the next one, I guess has to do with the interest rate, the market itself. But so the one, the proposed tallest residential tower in Canada, 85 floors goes into receivership. Yeah. Um, Build as the tallest future residential tower in Canada, the 85-floor project known as the One in Toronto has been placed into receivership by core order, a symbol of the struggles faced in some commercial development in North America during the pandemic and subsequent higher interest rates. So what's your what's your take on this? What are your thoughts? What do you think? That's a big one. That was, um, you know... the. <laughs> It's kind of dominated the headlines. So they, they were building, I think it was almost 80 stories or more. Was that what it said 80, there? Or how many they built? 80? Yeah. Well, no, how, how many stories is it supposed to be? I 85. Think. Yeah. So 85 stories. That, that's a big building. I think they got it almost halfway through. I think they were at like 40. Um, it was a very hyped building, but it has it has some controversy around it. So that building was actually supposed to have a flagship Apple store really? in the bottom. And Apple pulled out. And that was that was a big sign of things to come. They they created this dedicated massive commercial space in the bottom that Apple was supposed to take and now didn't. They couldn't release it out. Um, the owners of this project there there's basically two funds that were run by a South Korean uh, asset management company that was funding this project. They've been obviously financing it, but their yeah. interest payments are coming up and up and up and up. They've only got through maybe half of the building. Um, and I think when they started, they had no expectation that rates would end up as high as they are. Well, because they, they started, uh, or, well, obviously they approved it and they started, I guess it was before COVID, right? Because I think I've been talking about this for a good amount of years. Yeah. So they, they started the project, I think, in 2017. Yeah. So in 2017, it was like blue skies ahead. <laughs> rates were like 1.5%. Yeah. Like it was ridiculous. Um, and I think they had thought it would be smooth sailing, but it, it wasn't. And it's such a big project 
that the like anytime you're talking about real estate development, your your biggest enemy and risk is time. So the longer a project stretches, the more that can go wrong. The yeah. higher your cost of your carrying costs, your financing, your materials, all that gets bigger. So your your risk extends with your length of your project. And so this being one of the biggest high rise in Toronto is essentially also the riskiest project in Toronto. And yeah. now we're, we're seeing it being affected. The first large project really be affected by these new rates, of course, because it's it's the largest and longest running, one of the longest running projects. So they're feeling massive pain now with the interest rate increase, uh, with labor shortages, with tenants pulling out because the, the tenants are adjusting, saying like, maybe we don't want this super high-end condo, this, this thing that we bought. Maybe we don't want our office or retail space downstairs because we're not expanding. We're not planning to expand now given the condition. So... They're hit with a lot of, of headwinds and halfway through the project, they just called it quits. So they applied for receivership and that basically means that their lenders are probably going to take possession of that building. So do you think they'll like hit another developer or like what do you think is going to happen? This, like, like that, I, I honestly don't have any idea. If, if I were to guess what's likely going to happen, because I also heard there was issues with the partners, like the Korean fund and whoever their domestic okay. partner was here. I think it was like Coco or something. I can't remember what it was, but... Someone's partnered in that deal, and I think the partners weren't getting along either was part of the problem. So oh, I think it's a little deeper. Either, yeah. So I think either what's going to happen, this completely prediction, like no facts, but either the lenders will take it over and try to find a new buyer for that half completed project that can has a stronger balance sheet that can take over, finish the project, and resell the project. What happens to the people that already bought is, I guess, to be seen. I'm not sure how that's going to play out at this point as we're recording it. This is still kind of fresh. Yeah. Um, either they're going to lose their their deposit and lose their allocation, or they're going to be given an opportunity to keep it, but they're going to have to wait a really long time for it to finish. And it'll be a whole new developer, or one of the partners involved will split off and somehow retake ownership mm. of it and continue. Maybe they'll find a new partner or a new JV to finish the deal with. I, I don't know how it's going to pan out, but it's yeah. it's not good news. And the big question is, will it happen to other projects? It'll be interesting to see. Um, yeah. But yeah, moving on. So you touched on this before. You wanted to get into it, but we're coming back to it now. Uh, immigration and more, I guess, specifically uh, international students. So Canada moves to reform its international student program. Um, starting on December 1st, Canadian colleges and universities that are enrolling international students will have to verify each applicant's acceptance letter directly with immigration officials before a study permit is issued. So I guess basically what they're finding is uh, there's a lot of fraud with these international students um, and their admission letters. And then I guess the amount that they're accepting as a whole. Yeah, this is actually big news because... I think this is very underrepresented, at least right now, and no one's really talking about this, but one of the biggest drivers of our real estate market is students. Yeah, We have, I think, half a million, give or take, a yep. year, students come in, and what they do is they come in for school, but then they also get jobs, and they end up needing residency of some sort during and after their stay here if they get approved because they'll come in on a student visa and then when they're done they'll 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 transition to a work, work visa, visa and they'll stay here and so that's a big driver of immigration for us yeah if anything of that program changes now i'm not saying it doesn't have to change because i think it does and we'll talk about that in a second if you want to know why i think it should change but if anything does change that actually has direct implication to housing because it's about half of our demand so almost just just under half of demand for new housing is coming from students and temporary work permits so if they make that harder to get you might see less, and this is what we have to determine. See less of those people coming in. Yes. So you might slow that student program. You will slow immigration. But so the majority of their like, I mean, they're not all buying houses, right? They're no. they're the majority of the rental market. A lot. So there's definitely a segment, especially when you look at like there's very wealthy 
um, students and families coming from India, coming from China. They're taking this program. They're they're very wealthy, yeah. and their families are coming in and buying real estate for their kids. Yeah. That's a piece of it. I don't know how big of a piece of it, but there's definitely yeah. a lot of rentals coming out of that. So a lot of demand on apartments and student rentals and stuff like that. Yeah, which drives the overall the overall market as a whole. So, but I, th- I think we should talk about why they're doing this because there's actually some history behind this. Why? Who's doing this? The government or these the, the government? Okay. So. The reason the reason this is a thing, I don't know if you've heard about this before, but like basically we get a lot of students. The reason why Canada gets a lot of students is because Canadian universities are giant recruitment engines that work very hard to market and recruit students directly in target countries like India. So they have arms there of different recruiting companies that the Canadian schools have partnered with and pay, right? I don't know their exact arrangement, but long really? story short, yeah, they they pay recruiting firms and, and marketing companies in those countries to basically promote to students there saying, come to Canada, get in with our school. Here's the program and your path to your visa. Like they want them in because international students pay a ton more yeah. for tuition. They're, it's a very profitable, basically racket. And so the biggest driver of international immigration of students is actually universities. It's Canadian universities. Now, with that, if you're the university and you're the one responsible for marketing and coming through and looking at these these permits, you should provide the housing. No, you. Oh. I'm, what I'm saying is, you you have the incentive to get more of them. So you're gonna do more under the table stuff. You're gonna you're gonna turn your eye to more fraudulent applications. You're gonna accept as many as you can, so long as they pay, because all you care about is the university. So it's is the getting univer- paid. So are you saying it's the the universities to blame and yes. not the government? Yes. Okay. So I didn't know well, that. <laughs> I mean, the government's kind of yeah, always. I guess they go hand in hand. Well, they're a little linked, right? Yeah, yeah, because. But I never thought about it like that. They they have a hole. I mean, their their target here is what what they're saying is they're trying to fix the integrity of the program. Yeah. Right? So they're saying that. Um, like I couldn't get through the rest, but would the government not have to see like that? Like, would it not have to go from the university to the government for them to be able to come here? Well, the, 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 I guess, I guess a big chunk of it was being handled by the universities and they were able to provide I see. these like, these like, like um, they're given the go ahead? Th- these admission letters. Right. Yeah. And when they get these admission letters, the school's receiving them and the government's receiving them, but, but no one, no one is really analyzing them for, are these fake? Like, are these real? And is there operations where, and and who know? I'm not implying that the universities are doing this, but like, yeah. what if the universities no, take, have inside a, like an inside thing, yeah. and they have people that are assisting in drafting these fake admission letters? I'm not saying they are. Yeah. I'm just saying, what if they what if they do? Yeah. Someone's doing it, so yeah. that that's why they're doing this. There's a big amount of students coming in under the fake premise that. Like, like the, their admission letters are not legitimate is what I'm saying. So there's students coming in that shouldn't be coming in that wouldn't have been approved, but they're, they're being approved based on admission letters, which are fraudulent. And so the government's saying, we want to take a closer look now. We want all these admission letters to go through a, a more in-depth vetting process that we ultimately have oversight of so we can ensure that, like, because like, right now it's a wild west. Like, oh, you have the admission letter? Great. Take your letter, take your application, yeah. you go through and you come in. Now they're like, no, no, we, where'd you get, like, where's that coming from? Who, who vetted that? I'm like, just surprised it's they not know. how it like like right. how it always should have been. Should've there been. there was no incentive because as far as the government was concerned before, they're like, well, immigration is immigration. They're going to come here. They're going to spend money. They're going to basically drive up sales taxes. Yeah. They're going to spend. So it's good. And the yeah. universities, of course, have the incentive as well. They're getting paid. So no one really cared. But now that we have a housing issue, that's part of the problem. Yeah. So if we have way too many students coming in and that's forcing the price up. Now, they're not going to say that because it's bad for optics, but it is. That's yeah. what drives our housing market. 
they're trying to make affordability a top priority. And so this has now become an issue because you're like, well, we might have to slow this down mm-hmm. a little bit. And the most legitimate way to do that is just tighten up the application process a yeah. little bit and make it a little harder because that that's what they're, but they're not going to blame it on that. They're going to blame it on something else, but that yeah. is why they're doing it. Yeah. Well, I guess m- moving on, um, I guess is almost tied of, in and yeah, tied <laughs> in with you and what we're talking about. So prime minister, Justin Trudeau, blames investors for commodification of housing. Uh, The prime minister says investors and corporations have played a significant role into Ontario's housing, housing crisis. Um, 43 as of 2021, 43% of condo apartments and between 14 and 21% of houses in Ontario were owned by investors. Yeah. So what do you think about what Mr. Trudeau... Hold on, let's say? get that stat one more time. Okay. How many? Uh, so from Stats Canada revealed that 2021, 43% of condo apartments and between 14 and 21% of houses in Ontario were owned by investors. So 43% of condos and 14 and 21% of houses were owned by investors. So around a quarter. A qu- so almost half... Of the apartments yeah. in Ontario were owned by investors, yeah. and almost a quarter, 20 uh, well, 20% of houses yeah. in Ontario were owned by investors. So here's here's the flaw with this. As, as housing prices skyrocket, somebody has to take responsibility for it, right? Okay. Like, somebody's going to be to blame. So yeah. the government's going to look around and say, it's not us. It's not all that money we printed, which drove inflation through the roof, made everything more expensive. It's not years of having almost free money with no interest rates. So, it's, you know, we can't blame the, the central bank. They're not going to take blame for it. We can't blame the government. They're not going to take blame for it. So look around at an enemy. They, they're they not going to look at their immigration policy and saying, hey, we're bringing in 1.5 million people a year. No, that's not why housing is being pushed up. They're going to look for an enemy. And what's an enemy that people can get around? They're going to blame investors. And that's a theme you're seeing now, like people that buy homes or apartments and rent them out. Yeah, they're the problem. The problem with that theory is is twofold. Even if investors own a quarter of, of property, which I, I, I'd want to dive deeper because I have no idea if that's true or not or what the actual number is, but even if they do in, own, let's say, a quarter of them, if we opened up a quarter of our housing supply and suddenly it became available, that wouldn't permanently solve this crisis. You'd right. have a nice few months where there's a lot of availability that's not going to change the fact that 1.5 million people are still coming through the door. Like we need yeah. to like 4x, 5x, 6x our housing supply. Like we need a Especially massive. At this rate. Yeah, like that 20%, even if you just magically opened it up. But even if you opened it up, so if, if investors said, "Hey, we don't want to we don't want to be investors, fine. We'll sell all of our investments, put these houses on the market for end users." It changes nothing. The end users just will still people will still show up and just buy those houses. It's not yeah. like they're going to sit there and suddenly slow the whole market. Yeah. Because they're still being occupied, right? Like it's not like their houses. One are, way or the other. I yeah. mean, I, I've heard there's a lot of vacant condos, which, yeah. is whole, which is kind of a different issue with condos, where people buy them and they're they're going to Airbnb them, and like there's these ghost buildings they say are all Airbnb. That's, That's a, a different point. issue. But single family homes, like my point is, whether an investor buys that, it's not like there's a lack of demand, and if investors just didn't buy homes, nobody would. If those investors didn't buy homes, there'd still be just as much competition for the homes, and no, someone else would just buy it. So yeah. it's not like. There's this this void that that they're somehow filling that if they weren't there it would all be open and free. That's not the case. Yeah. This is just them scapegoating. The other problem is right now, like I was talking about, we had we had a guest um, on another interview that we had done that we had talked about when you look at mortgage rates right now and the average mortgage payment, it's almost double what rent for the same yeah. house in the same area is. 
these landlords in many cases are actually hurting or losing money. Even if they own the home outright, that's fine. They're creating affordable housing in a sense because the people that rent from those, the reason those investors are there is because there's demand from renters. There's people that don't want to or can't put 30% down right now. Yep. Can't put hundreds of thousands of dollars to own a home. Property tax. But they still, property tax maintenance, but they still need a home. If these investors didn't own and rent these out, it wouldn't suddenly improve the financial situation of all these people that will now magically have all this extra money to buy these homes for this crazy amount of money down and these huge payments. They would just have nowhere to go. Yeah. So in many cases, these investors... They exist as a product of demand. There's a demand from a segment of the population that needs housing and cannot afford the general cost. Those investors leaving does not suddenly solve that problem. There'll just be more people with less options. So this is not the problem. It's just them scapegoating, is my opinion. I see. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I, I think that's good. I think we covered some good stuff. I mean, yeah, interest rates was the big one. The condo was a big one. Canada moves to reform. Yeah. Uh, and, and Trudeau. Yeah. But no, overall, man, I think it's a, it's a crazy time in real estate, I think, in general. And uh, we're going to do a lot more of these. We're going to cover more stuff. And if you guys are listening to the show, um, if you have something you want us to cover, drop us a comment. Send us an email. Like, whatever you want to do, send it over um, and give us some requests because there's so much to talk about. It's almost hard to choose these days. Uh, but we'll keep bringing you guys more. Um, we also, if you're new to the show, we do a lot of interviews. So a lot of our shows are interview-based, but we try to do these um, weeks in real estate at least once a month and just talk about what the heck is going on in the market and just bring you some of the news. So... Hopefully you guys enjoy that. If you have any ideas of what you want us to cover, just let us know. Um, and until then, we'll see you on the next show. But thanks, Anthony, for the help. Beautiful.